families where it's debt, it's unbelief, hardship and trial, parents walking away, won't work. What message are we sending? Here's the message we're sending to a whole generation of children. Where is God? I mean, if he owns it all, if he has all power, where is God? And you know what? Nobody is answering the question. And the one person a child needs to answer that question is a godly father or a godly mother when the father's gone, maybe by death or whatever. What are we passing on to them? Listen, we pass on cars, we pass on clothes, we pass on stocks, we pass on bonds, we pass on land, we pass on, on all these things. We got the wheel worked out just perfectly. You know what? The, probably the worst thing you can do is leave your kids a bunch of money. Listen, so live that you can leave them a faith that money can't buy and death cannot take away. So first of all, we pass on the principle. Second, we pass on our faith by lifestyle. And the third way is by persistence. Now, what I mean by that, simply this, that it's not enough to say, here's what God will do. It's not enough to say, here's what he has done. It's not enough to pass on principles. It isn't even enough to live it out in lifestyle because there has to be consistency. If it's erratic, we trust God sometime. Well, we trusted God for that. We go into the bank for this. Or uh, we trusted God for this difficulty, but oh, I don't know what in the world is going to happen at this point. In other words, if they see inconsistency, here's what they do. They chalk it off. Kids are looking. It's not that they listen. They don't look to be critical of their parents. Now, sometimes they do. But most kids, if they're halfway decent, they don't want to find fault in their parents. But if they see it, they don't expect us to be perfect. God knows we're not perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. You couldn't even describe one of them. We have to relate to our children on the basis of who they are and their personality and their needs and how they respond. They're all different. But there's something about consistency, something about them seeing us day after day. We're trusting God today for this, a little thing. We're trusting God today for this, a medium-sized thing. We're trusting God for this, big thing. We're trusting God for this. It looks impossible. And you know what happens? Here's what happens. It isn't something that happens once in a while. It's day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, watching and listening to the consistency of trusting God and believing Him no matter what. And you know what happens? We're passing on faith. And it's something that you can't ever put your finger on and say, well, here is the one time in life that it all worked. No, one time won't do it. It is consistency. So what does that mean? It means that I have to examine my own life to say, okay, Lord, uh, here's the situation and circumstance, and however I respond to this is going to make an impact on somebody. We're not talking about just your family. We're talking about your close friends who watch us, our close friends who know us, who watch us. How do we respond to circumstances in life? How do we deal with things? Do we just give up and quit and walk away? Do we throw up our hands and say, no, it won't work? Do we run to the bank without even asking God? Do we say, well, you know, God, you failed me here. That is they watch us. We, the truth is, everybody's watching somebody. Not to be critical, but listen, we want to see good things happen in people's lives. I want to see people exercising faith. I want to see people growing in their faith. I'm delighted when God does something good for somebody, and he comes through and answers a prayer because I know that every time he answers a prayer, if that's a wise person, they will etch that in their mind. God came through this time. God's faithful. God's trustworthy. I, I can bet on him no matter what. What's happening? That we're growing in our faith. And fathers and mothers, listen, it's not a matter of us growing our faith like that. But listen, as we grow in our faith, we bring our children's faith up with us when we are consistent and when we are laying out the principles and when we are attempting to share with them. You see, it isn't just a matter of something happening to us, but it's a matter also of our explaining to them what happens. 
And I know oftentimes I would sit down with my kids and say, now, here's where we're headed, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to trust God for this. But you see, it's doing it day after day, not just in some things, but big things as well. You can pass it on if you have it. Where does it begin? Here's where it begins. It begins by placing your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, acknowledging your failure and your separation from Him because of your sin, believing that when Jesus went to the cross, He died and paid your sin debt in full, and saying to Him, I'm confessing my sin to you. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin on the basis, not of how good I'll be, but on the basis of the death of your Son, I receive you as my personal Savior and accept it to be done. That's the beginning of your faith. Then what happens? God builds upon that, and you have something awesome to give. You're listening to In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. The only way to have a godly influence on your children is to have a relationship with him yourself through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. For more information on how to become a Christian, visit our website, intouch.org. And to listen again, look for the link to Today on Radio on our homepage. If you'd like a copy of today's complete message, How to Pass on Our Faith, open the bookstore page to place your order. Or order the entire Learning to Walk by Faith teaching set. Again, you'll find these resources at intouch.org or call 1-800-IN-TOUCH. To write to us, address your letter to In Touch, Post Office Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia 30357. If you've been rejected, or if you're feeling rejected, God has a remedy. Good news is on the way in today's Moment with Charles Stanley. Dad, Dad, Dad! What, buddy? Did you order a grown-up gift? You still want to get the same one we talked about last night? Yes. I think we got it. Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas. Come on in. Oh, oh, thank you, Nolan. The prayer blanket. The prayer blanket. <laughs> Merry Christmas, buddy. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, Christmas is a time of sharing. Go to intouch.org slash store to find gifts that bless for the Christmas season. Human connection and healthy relationships. It's what our Heavenly Father longs for us to have. But life today makes it far too easy to be self-sufficient and isolated. We can get stuck, caught in our own lives, disconnected from those around us. With InTouch's Fully Human Workbook, learn to repair and renew your relationships through the Word of God and the teachings of Dr. Charles Stanley. Connect again and sustain true fellowship with others. Visit InTouch.org slash store. You're listening to InTouch. Do you have the assurance of knowing you belong to God? With encouragement for believers, here's A Moment with Charles Stanley. No matter who rejects you, the key to overcoming rejection is to remember you belong to God. And God is living His life in and through you. If the whole world rejects you, so what? The one who really counts has accepted you, loved you, laid down His life for you. So... I have to have this sense of belonging, which God has settled. He saved me. I belong to Him. Remember the family of God, child of God. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Listen, from God's perspective, listen, I'm as good today as far as my relationship as if I were already in heaven because it's an eternal salvation. Now, 
What about this whole idea of worth? Who is it for us to decide who's worth what? Well, here's what he says. God says, this is your sense of worth. I love you so much that I'm willing to lay down the life of my son. I'm willing to come in the person of my son and lay down my life in order that you might be forgiven of your sins, cleansed of your sins, become a child of God. How do you measure that kind of worth? That God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross for, for sinners, wicked, vile, rebellious, disobedient people. How much worth do we have? Well, God says you're worth so much, I'm willing to die for you. So somebody else may act towards you in great painful rejection. You just remember this. You have to remember who you are. I'm a child of God. I'm loved so much, he's poured out his love upon me in such a fashion that he laid down his life for me. That's love at the epitome. That's love at the ultimate. That's love at the zenith. It just doesn't get any better than that. That's how much he loves me. Jesus died so God could offer us adoption into his family eternally. That's a gift we could never purchase or earn. Learn more at intouch.org. Today's program outlined three vital ways we can share our faith with our children. We'll add to that list Friday on In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. This program is a presentation of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia, and remains on this station through the grace of God and your faithful prayers and gifts. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Not even a decade ago, television personality Bill Maher had pretty much cemented his brand of snarky atheism and political leftism. His crass, snide, and often irrationally irreligious humor infuriated many people and led to an earlier show of his being canceled, not to mention plenty of gigs. But for a couple of years now, many of his former critics have noted something new, just how often he's willing to say out loud what so many on the left will never say out loud. In a monologue on last Friday's episode of his HBO series Real Time with Bill Maher, which I cannot officially recommend given the language and perverse humor, Maher offered a pretty thorough defense of Israel and even Western civilization. Here's Maher, quote, For all the progressives and academics who refer to Israel as an outpost of Western civilization like it's a bad thing, please note, Western civilization is what gave the world pretty much every expletive liberal precept that liberals are supposed to adore. Individual liberty, scientific inquiry, rule of law, religious freedom, women's rights, human rights, democracy, trial by jury, freedom of speech. Please, somebody stop us before we enlighten again. End quote. He then went on to note that Israel is the only place in the Middle East where these societal goods can be found. Mar then went on to offer a mini-history on the evolution of human rights in Western culture, detailing the host of thinkers through the ages that articulated, argued for, and built the freedoms that we now enjoy. It was, after all, only from the ideals that were brewed in the soup of Western culture that people like Martin Luther King Jr. were able to launch crusades against racial oppression and American segregation. It was from the writing of thinkers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Voltaire, among others, that the UN's well-devised, even if poorly applied, Declaration of Human Rights was birthed. And in a point dripping with his typical snarkiness, Marr pointed out that no one studied the great prophet of liberty John Locke anymore, quote, because he's so old, so white, and so dead. He then ended by noting just how few of the people he was critiquing would even take seriously what he was saying, because they're already too committed to a way of seeing everything through this lens of predetermined oppressors and oppressed. 
Now, I, like many, disagree with Marr on so many things, but I also find it so fascinating the number of cynics and skeptics today who seem to be rethinking everything now that they've been confronted with the ideas that replaced religion in the West, which in fact brings up just what Bill Marr left out in his otherwise thoughtful and compelling monologue. He's not quite ready to admit the role that religion played in cultivating liberty and human rights. Because Voltaire and Rousseau were anti-religious, they're safe to mention, Locke and King are often praised almost in spite of their deep faith, which Marr never mentioned in his monologue. In fact, Marr started his history of Western civilization too late, describing men who inherited a tradition as if they had started the tradition. In his book, A Brief History of Thought, Luke Ferry, also an atheist, identified and clearly articulated the true source of the West's most important and consequential ideas. Here's what he wrote, quote, Christianity was to introduce the notion that humanity was fundamentally identical, that men were equal in dignity, an unprecedented idea at the time, and one to which our world owes its entire democratic inheritance, end quote. In other words, without the principles that emerged from Holy Scripture, the world would have never benefited from the insights of a Jefferson or a Locke. The biblical view of the world, especially its description of the inherent value and the moral nature of the human person, is the only basis for freedom in all of human history. The ideas Mar rightly celebrates are not only good ones, they're true, and without their religious roots, they cannot be sustained. Mar is right to look to an earlier foundation for the goods of Western civilization. He just needed to look back further. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Timothy Paget. For more resources that live like a Christian in this cultural moment, go to breakpoint.org.